Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Exodus on how much care Moses' mother put into the ark of safety that Moses was put in. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, we freeze that scene in our mind of Jochebed there, and we go back and we think of how that tar that she was using there and her action of daubing it, but how that tar was like the Passover blood put over the door of the Jewish homes on the momentous night of Exodus 12. So God told them in that time, take of the blood and strike it on the two doorposts and on the upper doorpost of the houses. It was not enough, like the word dainu, enough, enough for us. It was not dainu. It was not enough for each household to just have a lamb. No more would it have been enough for Moses' mother to know how to waterproof the ark that her baby was going into. It was not even enough, it was not dainu, for each household to have killed the lamb and collected the blood. No more would it have been enough for Moses' mother to simply have collected the waterproofing tar. No more was it enough, is it enough for a person to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know God's plan of salvation, to know that he, God, the Lord Jesus, as the Son of God, became man as the Messiah so that he could die on the cross, which he did, the place of sacrifice for our sins. Just that knowledge alone is not enough. The collected blood from the killed lamb had to be applied to the two side posts, door side posts, and the door upper post. And there was one person in particular in each Jewish household who was intensely interested in making sure that the blood was correctly applied to the doorposts in the prescribed manner. And that person was not the father. And that person was not the mother. And it was not the sister. And it was not the second born. That person was the first born because he was the one who was in danger of dying if the blood was not applied in the prescribed way. And we can hear that firstborn son questioning intensely and diligently his father and saying, Abba, Father, are you sure that you put the blood on both the right and the left side post and on the upper doorpost. Are you sure, Abba Father, are you sure? And we can picture that firstborn son opening the door and checking to make sure that the blood was applied to the right post, the left post, the upper post, just as God had prescribed for the blood to be applied. And Moses knew the importance of the applied tar. And that's why the word daub in this verse is so important in verse 3. Because this word daub, with this word daub, we can picture her putting her eyes so closely up to that ark and the sun behind it and looking for any daylight that might show through those tarred reeds because she knew even the slightest separation could be the slow leak that killed her baby. So as the time approached for the angel of death to come back in the Passover time, 
we can picture that firstborn son repeating to himself, God promised when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Those are not my words. Those are God's words. God promised. He said, when I see the blood, he said, I will pass over you. And he sat there. We can picture him sitting there and reciting those words over and over again. Moses, our faithful our faithful prophet from God, our faithful teacher, he told us, he said, rest in the assurance that God has promised when he sees the blood, I will pass over you. I am the one, the firstborn son would have said. I am the one who is in danger of dying tonight. But God promised that if he sees the blood, he'll pass over. We have applied the blood. And so they knew, he knew he was safe. And we can picture Jochebed, Moses' mother, having an assurance of the safety because he was surrounded by this waterproofing tar so that her baby, her Jewish son, would be safe. Just as we can picture the Jewish firstborn in Passover feeling that sense of security because he said, I'm like under an umbrella of blood. That blood on the two side posts on the overhead is not just an umbrella, it's like a surrounding of blood. And just like Jochebed would say, my baby is surrounded by waterproofing tar. Now, continuing to look here in the verse we have, there are two very important words in verse 3 that describe what Moses' mother did, what Jochebed did with the ark. And they are the words laid it. She laid the ark, she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Those two words paint for us a picture of Moses' mother, Jochebed, that's very, very instructive to us. We can picture her bending over and laying this ark in the edge of the river. And what was happening? We have to ask the question, what was happening to Jochebed? What was going on in her mind when she bent over to lay the ark with her baby in the edge of the river? We can see her in our mind's eye. We can see her tears as they rolled from her eyes off her cheeks and then splashed onto her baby, Moses, and she prays, oh God, I hope that these tears are the wettest my baby will get in this journey. And she's really come to a point where she's done all that she can. She's reached the point where it says here she could not longer hide him. Those words, not longer, describe for us the place that she's in. She's in the place of not longer. She held on to her baby for as long as she possibly could. Then she could not longer hold on to him. We recognize in her could not longer situation that she had reached the end of what she could do. We sometimes find ourselves in our own could not longer place where we reach the end of what we can do in a problem. What did she do when she reached her could not longer for this problem? What did Jochebed do when she reached her could not longer for this problem? What do we do in our lives when we could not longer reach that could not longer for a problem in our lives? Well, Jochebed, when she reached this dilemma, her dilemma, 
And we are, of course, very interested in this because we're learning ourselves of what we do when we reach the dilemmas in our lives. And with those words, she laid it in the flags. We can feel the moment for Jochebed. We can feel the moment when she's forced to remove her hands from the ark. The mother who with all of her being has focused herself on protecting her baby, on nourishing her baby, on she would have given her life for her baby, now has come to a place where the mother has to take her hands off of the ark that's holding her baby. How in the world did Jochebed do this? How did Jochebed keep from going crazy in a hysteria at that moment? How did Jochebed not scream? How did she not go out of her mind for all the anguish of this moment? And there's only one explanation. There's only one explanation for how Jochebed can keep herself from going out of her mind when she laid the ark with her baby in the river's brink. And for us, we see there's really one way. There's one way for you. There's one way for me to keep from falling apart when we come into these dilemma situations. So, How did Jochebed keep from falling apart at the time? She did this by translating her trust in God. She translated it to a situation. We can see, we see, when we read this, we see a river's brink. But Jochebed translates the river's brink into the care of God. In order to not fall apart, Jochebed prayed something like this. The river's brink was the care of God. And with those words, in verse 3, she put the child there and laid it in the flags by the river's brink. She, with a broken heart, with tears flowing down her cheeks, she lifts up her prayer. We can imagine she lifting up herself, lifting her prayer up to God and praying something like this. Oh God, others, they call this an ark. Others, they call this the river's brink. Not me, Lord. Me, I call this ark the hands of God. Me, I call this river's brink the arms of God. Oh God, others say that I'm putting my baby in an ark and laying the ark by the river's brink. But I don't say that, Lord. I say that as I put my baby in this ark, I'm putting my baby in the hands of God. And when I look at my baby in the ark on the river's brink, I see that ark as the hands of God, and I see the river's brink as the arms of God. And we can just imagine Jochebed saying, thank you, God, for as I take my hands off of my baby, that you have taken my baby. You've taken my baby into your hands. Thank you for protecting my baby. Thank you for your mighty arms, which are stronger than any crocodiles or anything else that could happen in this river. And she had to see the ark that way. She had to see the river's brink that way. Otherwise, she'd go out of her mind. She had to see the ark and the river's brink as the hands and arms of God in order for her to have taken the Bible's advice, the Bible's singular advice for when you and I and Jochebed come into these dilemma situations. What is the Bible's advice for when we reach the end of what we can do? The Bible's advice is a particular word, and that word is seen in two sister verses. The same is twice seen in two sister verses. Those verses are Proverbs 16.3 and Psalm 37.5. 
And in our English Bible, the word is translated commit. Here's what it says in Proverbs 16.3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So let me repeat them. Proverbs 16.3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Psalm 37.5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The word that is translated that we have in English as commit is the Hebrew word that means roll. It means roll. The word roll brings to us a graphic picture of what you and I and Jochebed need to do when we reach the dilemma. And when we come to dilemma situations, when we come to those are impossible situations, when we come to those kind of situations, normally they proceed with three stages. First stage one is the shocking news stage. That's like the news that comes as a shock that you have a baby boy. It's a boy. See, that's the shocking news for Jochebed because she knew that that meant he was sentenced to death. That's stage one, Exodus there, 2, 2, where it says, the woman conceived and bare a son. See, when the news came to Jochebed, it's a boy, that was a shock to Jochebed because she knew that he had a death sentence on him. So she takes a little time to process that. Or the news that comes as a shock, like I experienced, your biopsy has been analyzed and you have the type of cancer that's incurable and terminal. Hearing the word cancer is a stage one. It's the shock. It takes a little time to process. And after taking the time to process, it comes stage two. Stage two is the plan. The plan. You've come to the plan. You've found the plan that has the potential of overcoming the problem. And stage two is usually invigorating. You feel like life has come back and returned into you with this problem can be beat, and I intend to beat it. No, like, I have a plan for how we're going to hide my baby. And this stage two plan is, she hid him three months. That's the second part of verse two. She hid him three months. See, that's stage two. Or, I found on the internet people who said they were healed from terminal cancer by taking these herbs or going on this alternative medicine a medical clinic or from a healing meeting or from this diet. I'm going to do that. I'm going to beat this. And if after trying to hide baby Moses for three months or after a period of time it doesn't work and after all those methods have been tried, it comes to stage three. And stage three is the realization that there's no way that this plan is going to work. I can't overcome the problem. Stage three is the first part of verse three where it says she could not longer hide him. Stage three comes with the CAT scan results of the MRI that after the diet, after the herbs, after the alternative medicine, after the healing meetings, the tumors are growing out of control. Going from stage one through stage three is like getting a heavy burden that just keeps getting heavier and heavier on the back, and it becomes unbearable. And this is where these two sister verses tell us exactly what to do when we reach this stage three. Just as Jochebed came to the end of what she could do, 
and the burden of her trying to hide her baby was too much for her to bear. She couldn't do it. And Jochebed saw God as ready to receive this burden off of her back. And so we can picture Jochebed just kind of leaning off to the side and rolling that burden off of what was going to happen to my baby burden. And what was going to happen to my baby worry, she rolls right onto God, who was there able and willing to receive the burden. See, a Jochebed rolling the burden off of what's going to happen to my baby is a Jochebed seeing the ark as the hands of God and the river's brink as the arms of God. See, that's why those verses are so important. Proverbs 16, 3, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts commit works, thoughts. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. God has promises associated when we roll that burden off of ourselves onto him, to roll the burden of our works. In other words, that's what's going to happen as a result of what I have done. That's our works. God promises, if you roll that burden onto me, I promise you, your thoughts will be established. They'll be steadied. And our thoughts established means that they won't be blowing around with each other. Oh, I forgot that. Oh, this. Oh, I'm worried about that. And those three words are very, very important when it says, unto the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord. We have to see, we're not just rolling it onto something general like, well, I trust God. Well, God will take care of it. It's rolling them specifically onto the Lord. Who's the Lord? Who might that Lord be? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Rolling them onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because when we see it's the Lord Jesus Christ who we're rolling it onto, then we remember how much he cares for us. How do we know how much he cares for us? The cross. Because we see how much he's cared for us at the cross. So, then the next verse says, Psalm 37, 5, it tells us to roll our way. That's the Hebrew word, way, where it's the same word that's used today in Israel for the word for road or the highway, the path we've taken. When we've rolled our way onto the Lord Jesus Christ, that means we don't second guess. Well, maybe if I had gone this way or, done, or that way, it would have been better. When we've rolled our way Unto the Lord Jesus Christ, we have taken it from us to him. And he knows that we will be tempted to second guess it all. That's why Psalm 37 5 puts a stop of our second guessing with an extra part that's been added. And that extra part is trust also in him. That's added. So when we go through the, well, yes, I've committed this problem to the Lord, but God stops us right there. And he says, but nothing. He says, trust also in him. That's as if God is saying to us, did you commit this problem to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, Lord, I did. Well, now, you committed it. Don't try to take it back. 
trust also in him. And then comes the promise, and he shall bring it to pass. Well, Lord, I've committed my way to you, and I think my way was a pretty bad way. It says, commit thy way. It's my way. It's my way that brought me into this problem. It's my way that resulted in the mess I'm in. It's my way that caused me to be addicted to drugs. It's my way that caused me to be divorced. It's my way that landed me here in prison. And the Lord says, I know it's your way. That's why it says all we like sheep have gone astray. How come we've all gone astray? Because all of our ways are our ways. And God could easily say, I know your way is a bad way, and you should see all the ways that I get committed to me, God would say. But people have really made a mess of their lives. But when they come to me and they trust me, I take them where they are. And when they commit to me, I take all of their ways that they've committed to me, and what people have really put their confidence in me, really have trusted in me, really have trusted also in me, I bring it to pass. I'll make good come out of that. But what the word commit or roles means is that what Jacobeb literally did when she took her hands 100% off her baby and committed her baby 100% to the hands of God. What's our works that we are to commit to God in Proverbs 16:3? That's what we have done in our lives. What's our way that we are to commit to God in Psalm 37:5? That's the way we have, that's the pattern of life that we've been in. And God waits for us to commit our works. He waits for us to commit our ways to him so that he can establish our thoughts. That means that if we don't commit our works to the Lord, if we don't commit our way to the Lord, then our thoughts will not be established. When we don't do this, then we're on our own. And when we're on our own way and we're on our own, we're doing our own thing, then our thoughts tyrannize us with worries because we have not committed our works and ways to him and we're carrying the load all ourselves. So instead of gaining the peace that God wants us to have, the peace, for example, of having this life of committing to the Lord and praying prayer of commitment, Lord, I'm getting in my car today and I'm trusting you to keep me safe as I go. Lord, I'm leaving my house today. I'll lock the doors. I'm leaving for church and I commit this house to you for your safety. Then as you go driving along, you're not with a, did I lock all the doors of the house? Did I really turn the iron off? Did I turn the hair rollers off before I left for church? What am I going to do tomorrow at work while I'm at church? Do I have enough laundry soap for all the loads that I have to do tomorrow? Or we start going to work on Monday in our minds while we're still in church on Sunday. Picture Jacobin with the unstable thoughts that could have tyrannized her. Was the baby too exposed when I put him in the ark? Was he warm enough? Did I make that ark stable enough? Am I sure that I waterproofed all of it? Did I do that last check? Should the ark have had a little keel on it to stabilize it? Maybe I should have put a little life preserver on the little guy and just in case the ark got turned over. What if a wave comes? Maybe I could have put some animal repellent 
some kind of animal urine or something like that on the ark just to keep the crocodiles away? What if the ark capsizes? How long will it take for him to drown? What if animals attack him in the water? Will he suffer before he dies? What if he sails away to nowhere and just starves to death? Is he going to die a slow death of starvation? You see that one worry after another like waves, and that's what happens to us too. And what is that a description of? Unstable thoughts, thoughts that are not established. Our thoughts are not established. That's the pattern of unstable thoughts. And the solution? Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. When we commit our works and we commit our ways to God, we trust in Him, then we have the assurance the Lord is my helper. We have the confidence that God is helping me. And all those thoughts that are so destabilizing, they're silenced. And the thoughts of Jochebed and her second thoughts are all silenced as she becomes established and stable because she's committed her works of what she's done for her baby to the Lord. She's committed her way, the way she's gone about it, to the Lord. And that's such a picture of us, of how we should commit, trust also in Him, our works, our ways to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in our next lesson, we're going to see what happens to a person who does that, who commits their ways and their works to the Lord. We're going to see a miracle of what happened as Jochebed committed her baby, took her hands, 100% off her baby, into the hands of God. Thank you for joining us today. Now, Valentine's Day is over, but do you still have a love to reach the lost? Do you have a love for God's lost, chosen Jewish people as well? Well, Tom Cantor can help you to reach them by getting a testimony DVD from his life story and a booklet into their hands. Millions of copies have gone out around the world, and we can get one into your hands to reach a lost Jewish person that you know, a coworker, neighbor, friend, acquaintance. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051 to get a copy. That's 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us to get our February resource of the month, Tom Cantor's new DVD, What is a Jew by Choice versus a Jew by Birth. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051 to reach a lost person or to get Tom Cantor's new DVD, Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.